Well, my brain is still reeling from some of the discussions we had in dispensational theology. <clears throat> right, guys, if you were in there, man, we're dealing with some pretty heavy stuff. But I've, I've got a, um, I have here a uh, goodie bag again, like I had last time when I preached in chapel. But this one's quite different, okay? Um, oh, yeah, there's the beanie. Okay. All right, so I'll put that down here, back here, and put on the beanie. That's the beanie. Okay. <laughs> what in the world is he up to this time? Okay. This belonged to my father. Okay. And uh, you've, you've all heard of my grandfather, John R. Rice, and you've heard him talked about, and you may even, some of the classes here, like the... the the uh, class on the book of Acts, use his commentary for their textbook and so forth. Maybe you've read Prayer Asking and Receiving. So you know all about my grandfather, but I want to talk about my father, okay? And my father was never famous. Biggest, he built a church. He was a pastor. He was an evangelist. He worked in a Christian bookstore as the manager at one point. The biggest church he ever built was around 200, and then he got fired from that church. Um, by a vote of the membership, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, wasn't his fault. But when I think of my father, I think of the word faithful. That's what I want to share with you today, faithfulness. Are you faithful? Are you going to be faithful? When you come towards the end of your life, will you be able to look back and say, I wasn't great, but I was faithful? Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father, I do thank you for my earthly father and uh, all that he meant to me and, and his faithfulness as a pastor, a soul winner, uh, everything he did, and, and he did it for you and coming to the end of his life and living for you and dying for you. I just uh, pray that you'd help me to portray to the students the idea of faithfulness so that they'll never forget it. They'll take, if nothing else, they'll take this one word away from this chapel, faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at several passages. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, first of all. So this will be a topical message for you guys in homiletics, okay? I'm not exegeting per se, but a topical message. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Okay, keep up with me. We're going to use a lot of scripture in this message. Still hear those turning pages. That's a wonderful thing to hear, though. Okay, and the Bible says, Let a man so account of us as, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Okay, um, then we have, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5.24. We, we this is the main passage here. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Why should we be faithful? Because God is faithful. Okay, it says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God called you. If you let him, he'll do it. He'll do what he called you for through you. Then we have Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. According to this verse, faithful people are rare. Most men will proclaim every man his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. 
Well, I found a faithful man in my father. When I graduated from high school, one of the deacons gave me this uh, card, If for Boys. So this is the poem, If, by Rudyard Kipling. How many have heard of it before? Have you heard of that poem before? All right, so I'm going to read it to you, and this describes my father. If you can keep your head when all about are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise, if you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you spoke and twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it all, Risk it on one turn of pitch and toss. Well, we don't believe in gambling, but it's the poem, okay? (laughs) And lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing left in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. My father had some terrible things happen in his life, yet he grew up uh, with a drunkard father, uh, born in 1920, um, his, his father would beat him when he came home, and uh, then his father died when he, I think he was 12, uh, and then he had two older brothers, and they became drunkards, and they would beat him when they came home. Uh, one of them became a Christian, trusted the Lord as Savior, and, and then he was called to preach in high school. Even while he was still in high school, he tried to preach all he could. The United States Army, this is World War II, January 14, 1943. He wrote in his, uh, his journal that the U.S. Army had turned him down because he had poor eyesight. He passed that on to me. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> he wrote, was rejected by the Army today because of my poor eyes. A new world opens before me with my rejection. He didn't say, oh, man, I feel terrible. He said, hallelujah, God's plan is at work. So he went to Wheaton College. That's his beanie, okay. And uh, he finally made it in the fall of 1943 to Wheaton College. And this is, this is his, they had fellowships of some kind there, like you guys do, but they named them differently than what you guys have. He was in the La- Laodicean Fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> And I, when I, I was going through my stuff, you know, I was left some of, this, some of his stuff after he died and going through it in the Laodicean. <laughs> but apparently he was proud of it because he had the banner, right? <laughs> okay, we are the Laodiceans. Okay. <laughs> um, there at Wheaton College, he met a, a lovely young dark-haired girl named Mary Loyce. Happened to be the daughter, the second daughter of John R. Rice. And uh, one day they were kidding around, and, and uh, uh, he grabbed her wallet, and someone grabbed her wallet and was throwing it back and forth, teasing her, and he grabbed it, 
And he said, you can have it back if I can walk you home. <laughs> that was how his courtship began. <laughs> but you can be sure John Rice watched over his second daughter very carefully, but they fell in love so much, so deeply in love, that he had, the dad had a, he had a principle, you can't get married until you get out of college. But um, his other daughters were saying, Dad, they're, they're, I mean, they can't wait. They're just so crazy in love. And so uh, June 4, 1944, she, uh, she, uh, he, he said she told him that she loved him. He told her he, he had been telling her already that he loved her. And then it said in his journal, told Dr. Rice this morning I was in love with Mary Lois. Everything is all right there. Saw Mary at noon. So he's... He's ready. December 9, 1944, gave her a diamond. They had a campus custom in Wheaton College. By the way, Wheaton College in those days was fundamentalist. It was very strong and biblical. One Baptist, but hey, okay. So they had a custom. They have a tower there with a bell at the top of it. Beautiful campus, by the way. But the custom was if someone got engaged, they rang the bell. So he was so happy, he said, he wrote, I, how I praise the Lord for all of this. I know I don't deserve such a wonderful girl. And then on the, on the 11th, he wrote, got plenty of razzing today around the school, but who cares? It's wonderful to know that I have her love for a dope like me. <laughs> well, <laughs> so they were married while still in college, September 4, 1945, graduated June 9 of 1947, two years later, both with BA degrees in, art, in anthropology because that was the major for mi future missionaries at Wheaton College in those days. For some reason, I, don't, I never have understood that. Um, but um, they wanted to give their lives for the Lord in Tibet. Tibet was a very cruel country, still is to a degree. Um, they, they applied to, to uh, the China Inland Mission that Hudson Taylor started, went to the boot camp of the China Inland Mission were rejected because of my mom's health. The mission didn't think she was healthy enough. Uh, but my dad then, the rest of his life, that one word, faithful. And I want to challenge you. Are you going to be faithful in your life? Are you faithful right now? Um, we read 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Let's look that, at that again. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So a steward is, as our dispensational students have learned, a stewardship is responsibility given by God to mankind in general. But each one of us has stewardships. Your talents are God's given to you to serve him. Your body is given by God to serve him. Your mind, your brain, is given by God to serve him. Everything you have or are, all of your possessions, they're given by God for you to serve him. Therefore, if you take your talents, your body, your possessions, your money, and don't serve God, you're a thief. You're stealing from God. I don't want to be the guy that steals from God. Never turns out well. My father did not steal from God. Definition of uh, oikonomos, stewardship, or steward, one put in charge of a household or estate, a steward. So a steward, as we have um, parables of Jesus Christ that describe a steward, here's what you're supposed to do. You manage my household, okay? 
And, and then we have the unjust steward that managed, managed unjustly, but he was a steward, but then he was in big trouble because he was not managing it justly. Faith, the term faithful, the term definition of pistos, the Greek word used in this passage, is trustworthy, faithful, dependable. Can God depend on you? Are you a faithful steward of what God has given you? Can God depend on you? Can he depend on you to practice your instrument faithfully? Can he depend on you to study enough for the class you're in? Can he depend on you? Those are stewardships that he has given you. Going to college, that is a stewardship God has given you because you're preparing for his service. Baptist College of what? Okay. So that's my question to you today. Are you a faithful steward of God's will for your life? First of all, notice 1 Timothy 1.12. 1 Timothy 1.12. If you want to go into the ministry, the first qualification is faithfulness. Okay, 1 Timothy 1.12 I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, put it for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The faithfulness came first. You want to go into ministry, you've got to be faithful first. Okay, if you have been called to preach or called to be a missionary, called for whatever, God looked at you and said, okay, this person is faithful. Maybe you'll not be faithful later. That would be a tragedy. You are called because God saw you as faithful. So then you have a stewardship of that call of God to fulfill. A.T. Robertson said, Fidelity, faithfulness, is the essential requirement in all such human relationships. Talking about 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Timothy 1.12. In other words, plain honesty in handling money like bank clerks or in other positions of trust like public office. So God doesn't just call anyone to be a preacher. I have a friend who wanted to be a preacher and went to college and went to seminary, didn't quite graduate. God blocked him from graduating. Now, he's a, he was a faithful man, but God didn't choose him to be a preacher. He wanted to be. He got the training, and God said no. He was a faithful policeman instead, but faithful. Now, he's a retired policeman, okay? He finds you faithful. He judges you by his own faithfulness, for he is faithful, Second Thessalonians 3.3. 3. Second, the previous page, if you got a Bible like that. We, he finds us faithful because he is faithful. For the, but the Lord is faithful, pistos, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. He is faithful to you. Are you faithful to him? Okay. Are, are, you, are, you, are you doing your homework? The, the assignments we give you in class, those are tests of faithfulness. Will you get it done on time? Or will you have a penalty on your grade because you didn't get it done in time? Did you play games instead? Are you faithful? Um, so he judges us by his own faithfulness. As I told you, uh, my dad and mom were willing to go to Tibet as missionaries. In those days, I have read, uh, I've not been able to track this down, but I've read that In those days, in the 1940s, there were more missionary graves on the borders of Tibet than there were missionaries in the whole country. 
We had a book in our, in our home library that I read when I was a teenager about Tibet, obviously that they had bought uh, when they were praying about going there. And, and boy, some of the things that Tibetans did to people, if you came into their country without permission, you were in trouble. I, I, I read one account of a man they forced to ride on a saddle with nails sticking up. Very cruel people. But my dad and mom were faithful to the call that they believed they had. Now, sometimes God will call you and then not allow you to complete that. And the point is, God wanted to see if you were faithful. Were you willing to do that? We don't know tomorrow. James 4 says that, right? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The rapture might happen while I'm preaching. (laughs) I think that'd be awesome. Go up in the rapture while you're preaching. That'd be great. But... um, then you wouldn't get the whole, this, hear the whole sermon, but no, whatever. Okay. <laughs> um, so, like I said, they worked, but they worked for Christ in college. Like I told you, Dad started preaching as much as he could in high school. When he was called, he said, I'm going to preach, man. He, he was so excited to pray about preaching, he preached everywhere he could in high school. Uh, if you're taking homiletics, is that class going on right now in homiletics? Not yet. Okay, when you do take homiletics, are you, are you going to be excited about preaching? Okay, or, or is it going to be, oh no, I've got to preach tomorrow. If you're faithful, if you love what God has called you to do, you're going to say, awesome, I get to preach tomorrow. You might be nervous about it, but that's a different problem. Okay, so if you're faithful enough, God will put you into the ministry. I have here my father's certificate of ordination. Okay. It's very curious. July of 1950, July 17, 1950. So that was before I was born. The Tri-County Workers Conference that was in Kansas. Uh, Dad was planting churches in Kansas for the Southern Baptists at that time. But there's, let me see, one, two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, Eight names on it that, you know, you sign the, the ordination council. Uh, W.T. Coston signed. John Duncan didn't sign. Keith Ham didn't sign. Or no, Keith Ham signed. Wilbur Noble signed. E.J. Price signed. Mr. Glenn Wright didn't sign. Mr. Neil Huff signed. Mr. Arthur Smith didn't sign. Well, I want to think they just weren't there, but it might be a sign of my father's future ministry. They didn't like him. I don't know. Uh, he, he uh, while he was planting churches in Kansas, uh, uh, you know, some of those country folk believed that if you had an outline that you weren't right with God, you're supposed to preach what God gave you right in that moment. But he had an outline on the pulpit, and and the window was open, so wind wind came and blew this blew his outline away, and they were all watching. Is he still going to preach? And he kept right on preaching, knew the outline front and back. I have some of Dad's sermons here. Sermon outlines, the making of a preacher, the call of a preacher through natural means, circumstances, challenge, compulsion, Bible examples, okay, conditioning of a preacher, John the Baptist, uh, Paul, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, I went into Arabia and returned again in Damascus, importance of training, get educated, study, give due diligence to study, study to show thyself approved. Commitment of a preacher, Romans 12, 1 and 2. He loved that passage. He preached from that often. 
Acts 20, 24, none of these things say, move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And he was determined to go until death, serving God faithfully. Conduct, conduct of a preacher and, and a number of other messages. So, the second point is faithful enough in every little task to be given a big task. Luke 16, 10 through 12. Luke 16, 10 through 12. You want to be a big shot for Jesus? You've got to be a little shot first. You've got to do the little tasks you're given first. Luke 16, 10 through 12. He that is faithful in that which is least, that's the little things, is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is, off, is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful to the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? The point is, God's not going to give you something big to do until you do the little things he's given you to do. Reminds me of Dad giving me the task of, of church janitor. And John, Johnny, you got to clean the women's restroom, too. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I was totally outside of my purview of what a minister was, but I, I somehow, you know, made it inside and cleaned the place and got outside. But, you know, it's the little things. That was a little thing. I mean, it was big to me. I didn't want to do it, but it was a little thing. you got to do the little things, guys. You've got to do your homework assignments. You've got you've to fulfill whatever you're given to do now. Those are, maybe you think it's the little things. Well, I don't have time for that. It's big in God's eyes. If God told you to do it. It's big in, big in God's eyes. So A.T. Robertson wrote about this passage um, where it says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He wrote, Elate, that's an elative superlative. He was a Greek scholar, as you know. One of the profoundest sayings of Christ. We see it in business life. The man who can be trusted in a very small thing will be promoted to larger responsibilities. Listen, did you catch that? Elative superlative. In other words, it's, it's hugely uh, important. It's, it's really big. Okay, Doing little things is really big, he's saying. And he said, one of the profoundest sayings of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? If I were to ask you before, right now, what are some of the profoundest things Jesus said, probably none of us, including me until I read what A.T. Robertson said, probably none of us would say, well, that's one of the most deep, profound, wonderful things Jesus said is be faithful in little things. But, but that is profound because little things can lead to big things. It is the little tasks that we do for the Savior that make us ready to do the big tasks. So has, has God, be faith, have God seen you be faithful to cleaning up the bathrooms? Has God seen you be faithful in making your bed in the morning? Huh? Has God seen you be faithful in writing thanks cards or thanks emails when you're supposed to? When you receive something good, have you given thanks for it? Have you given thanks to God when you receive trouble? Those things are small things maybe right now, but they prepare you for the big things. 
in Millington, Tennessee, he pastored uh, a church out in the country, um, a Southside Baptist Church. But the thing, interesting thing was that very near was what's called the Memphis Naval Air Station, big, sprawling air base. And a lot of those uh, sailors would come to our church. One day, a black man came to the church, a young black sailor, and, um, and this was the Deep South in the early 1960s, in 1964, maybe. And there was a lot of prejudice still in those days. And um, a deacon stood up in, in Sunday school and said, if he's staying, I'm leaving. And a deacon walked out because there was a black man there. My father did not tell the black man to leave. One woman came and sat next to the black man to, to show support for her preacher. And she said later, oh, he smelled terrible. No, he didn't. That was the prejudice working, the Deep South prejudice. Well, one thing led to another, and that was probably, I think that was part of the reason, but people in the church, some people in the church decided to get rid of him. We don't need a pastor like that. He'd been there three years, a little over three years, that's all. He had built the church to the biggest it ever had been. He had won many souls to Christ. He had discipled many. The church was running over 200. This is a country church out in the country running over 200. And he, he stood for God in the faithful things. And a, a movement started. Several people in the church decided they were going to get rid of him. And unfortunately, they, had a, they did not have a provision in the Constitution that if you didn't come to church for a couple of years, you were, that you were no longer a member, they still allowed people to be members even though they didn't come to church. Which is, guys, if you're ever in a church, make sure that's in the Constitution, okay? All right. So they called all those people back and said, we got a terrible pastor, we got to get him out. And they voted him out. But God judged those people. I, I don't, my older sister knows all the stories. One died in a car accident. Another died of, a, of, of cancer. But he was faithful, even though he was fired from that church for no reason. Nothing immoral, nothing unethical, uh, no bad doctrine. One of the men said to my brother, uh, we've got nothing against your father. We just think it's time for him to go. But he stayed faithful. We went then to Racine, Wisconsin. Dad pastored five years in Racine, Wisconsin, and, uh, and uh, was faithful. The next church he went to was Denver, Colorado. Beautiful. And in Denver, so, you know, I thought that Dad would have been absolutely devastated by what happened in Millington, Tennessee, and I thought, well, you know, he's probably not going to, you know, probably had trouble the rest of his life, and I'm sure he did. I'm sure that just ate away at him, the un injustice of it all. But when he died, I told you I received a number of things from my sister that belonged to my dad. One of them was this little New Testament here, okay? Tiny little New Testament that he kept and, uh, until he died. So when he was in Colorado... He used this to win people to Jesus. He'd go soul winning and win people to Jesus. It says people led to Christ using this testimony, and, and there are 82, you know, one, two, three, four, slash, 82 hash marks of people he won to Jesus Christ. 
though he had been devastated. Racine wasn't much better. They didn't fire him in Racine, but I remember a guy standing up in the service and just in the Sunday school and just reaming out my father, you're a terrible pastor and so forth. He took it like a man, didn't, didn't yell back or anything, just said, well, thank you for your viewpoint. Faithful in the small things. From there, um, I uh, <clears throat> went off to Bible College and they went to Denver, Colorado, but I, I was able to find out where they moved to. <laughs> Think about that. It's a joke, guys, okay? <laughs> I got the address, and I was able to go there for summer from college, summer vacation, and, and it was great to see what Dad was doing there. Uh, but another thing, faithful enough to, to teach faithful men, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. And that says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Among, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Therefore, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The context of endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ is passing on, teaching people more about Jesus. And of course, that's in the Great Commission in Matthew, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Teaching was in his DNA. He loved to teach. So I have a book that he put together and had, he had this. There used to be, I don't know, I haven't seen them lately, but used to have like a strip of tape that you could put letters on. And this says, Outline Study of the Life of Christ, and at the bottom by Charles A. Himes. He never wrote a book except this, and I've got the only copy. But um, he preached all the way, Lesson 30, well, Lesson... There's Lesson 40 um, on the life of Christ. Lesson 43, 43 lessons on the life of Christ. And he loved to teach it. From, from Colorado, they went to uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where he was no longer a senior pastor, but he was helping the pastor there. And they started a Bible institute. And looking through his, his things, I found that he had he taught this in, in that Bible institute. Loved to teach. And... Uh, I guess that's where I got my love for teaching. I'm just, I'm, I'm like, what's that say, saying, a pig in clover? Um, or a bee in clover, maybe, I don't know. Uh, anyway, being able to teach you guys, I love it. God, you know, I was a missionary for 33 years, but now I, I'm just absolutely thrilled to be a teacher. And uh, so keep taking my classes, all right? Um, he loved teaching. I remember one time he had a... a, a uh, Course, I remember being in the basement of the church, and he had a course on soul winning and using the Romans road, and he taught us all to win souls, and he was passionate about that, he, not just winning souls, but teaching. He loved, just loved to teach. So then at the end of his life, he taught in a, in a place called uh, Covington Theological Seminary, which is kind of like a degree mill, if you know what that is. It's really easy to get a degree there. You do have to take some courses, though, and... and uh, um, he took some more courses, and he became, uh, he got the Master of Theology from, from that seminary. Uh, he did take some courses, and they were easy courses, but he, he wanted to keep learning. Why? So he could keep teaching. 
He wanted to take, it, take more so he could pass it out more. Take more so he could pass it out more. And that's what you're here for. You're here not only to be soul winners, not only to be ministers of the gospel, but to pass on the, the, the love you have for Jesus Christ. Pass on what you learn in the scriptures in your classes. That's what you're here for. And that's what you should leave BCM with. I'm going to teach more people about the grace of God. I'm going to teach more people about the love of Christ. I'm going to teach more people about what a joy it is to serve him. I want to teach more people the word of God. So I guess that's part of my, uh, part of my DNA that uh, when we went to Japan in, in 1980, right before our first furlough, they said, John, we want you to teach at our Bible Institute. And I said, sure, I'd love to. It was Bible Institute, Bible College, not really a Bible college, not really a seminary, but anyway, somewhere in there, okay? Kind of hard to know when you're on the mission field exactly what you're doing sometimes, but um, said, yeah, I'd like to do that. So we'd like to, you to teach Greek. Okay, so go home to America and take some classes on furlough, take some more Greek classes on furlough, and then we'll, we believe you'll be well qualified. So I did that, and I did teach Greek in Japan for years. Um, I taught various other classes. I would go two hours one way, get up very early in the morning, get, and get on a, a, a train, go into Tokyo, transfer, go, go a different direction, transfer, go out of Tokyo into, in Tokyo into the Tokyo Metropolitan District, and then I'd teach. And I loved it. I never one time thought, oh, man, this is really too hard. I don't know if I want to keep going all these two hours one way to teach. And... Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Paul will remember that, you know, and uh, Daddy's gone. What's he doing? He's teaching every Friday, every Friday. Loved it. But that's part of your job as a Christian. That's part of the ministry to pass on, as you've heard over and over here in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, to pass on, okay? Uh, same, commit thou. What have you have learned, heard of me among many witnesses? Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So reproducing ourselves. You've heard that here over and over again. That's what we're about. We want to reproduce ourselves in the life of Jesus Christ in others. Finally, faithful enough to die and be given a crown of life. To the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2.10. Revelation 2.10. And the Apostle John, at the end of his life, 96 years old, or approximately, perhaps, wrote to the church at Smyrna, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So faithfulness includes being willing to give your life for Jesus Christ. The way America is going, you may have the opportunity to do that. Again, A.T. Robertson says, Be thou faithful unto death. Keep on being, becoming faithful. You, you, if you've had Greek yet, that's the present middle imperative of Ginomai. And you realize that um, that's um, imperfective aspect. Keep on doing it. Don't stop. Just keep on being faithful. Keep on being faithful. Keep on being faithful until you die. The word faithful occurs the most times in the book of Revelation of any other place, 80 verses in the whole Bible, but eight times in the book of Revelation, it says faithful, faithful, faithful. And that's the, wow, the scariest book in the Bible. When things get scary, that's when we're to be the most faithful. 
when death stares you in the eye and someone says, you're going to die for the cause of Christ, prepare to meet thy God, you should be saying, hallelujah, I get to go to heaven. My father, when he was old, he preached the gospel for 60 years, and then he got Alzheimer's. I'll never forget when he told me about his Alzheimer's. <laughs> we went, there's a, in Chattanooga, uh, let me see, was it in Chattanooga? He, he was in, they were living in, in Rome, Georgia, near Chattanooga at the time, uh, when he retired. And, and he said, uh, he said, John, let's go for a walk. And so we went for a walk out into the park, and we stopped at, the, at a statue of a general that uh, had stuck his head up and got his head blown off by a cannonball. <laughs> and uh, so we're sitting on this bench at the statue of this dead general, and, and Dad says, uh, son, uh, I've got a disease. He said, it's called... Uh, um, I said, is it Alzheimer's, Dad? And he said, oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> he couldn't remember what the disease was, because that's what Alzheimer's does. It makes you forget things, Right? But uh, he shared that with me in faithfulness. So it done only eight times in the whole Bible, uh, six times in the book of Psalms. So it's kind of a rare quality. A lot of Christians don't turn out to be faithful. They quit halfway through. I've, I could give you a list of missionaries who have quit being a missionary um, and some terrible stories of things that happened to them. One, one guy I knew very well. Uh, they quit the mission field after only three years. And then he served as an assistant pastor in Texas, and we, we saw them there on furlough. And then uh, on the next furlough, I saw their daughter, and their daughter said, Dad and Mom aren't even going to church anymore. Bible college graduates, like you guys are aiming for, missionaries, three years, and they quit. That's not faithfulness. That's foolishness. I'm... You may have heard me say in my classes, to be allowed to be a servant of Jesus Christ, to be uh, in full-time ministry especially, but to serve in the pews or whatever, to, how glorious that is. Why would you not want to do that? Why would you not be faithful? I can say this. I'm 72 years old now. I, who knows when I'll go to heaven? I hope it's another 10, 20 years I'd, because I'd like to keep teaching you guys another 10, 20 years. If I teach 20 more years, I'll be in uh, my 90s. <laughs> so it'll be like, open your Greek book, guys. <laughs> you know? I can still get a little excited, but, you know, uh, if, if I keep teaching uh, until I die, and, and I'd like to, uh, then, uh, uh, you know, I, I could uh, be a little decrepit. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad's last time in the hospital... Uh, with his Alzheimer's, and you know, you don't die of Alzheimer's, other things take over and you die of those, but dad uh, and mom, dad, mom is putting dad in the hospital for the last time, and she says, Chuck, she says, his name was Charles, nicknamed Chuck, she said, Chuck, uh, the, on, in the application it says what your religion is, what should I put? He said, I don't have a religion, I have a savior. And we would have family devotions still, and he would get a magazine, because you're thinking it was a Bible, you know, and he my mom had put the Bible in his lap, and this was the Bible, and he loved the Bible. And, and he would, you know, he would listen to my mom read the Bible, and they would pray. So he would pray some just disjointed prayer. In the hospital, he tried to preach one last time. A big room of, of some kind of a lounge room, and there were some old folks in there. And, 
And he got up and, and led singing, and they all sang with him. You know, that was great. They loved the hymns of the faith, and they sang with him. But then he said, I'm going to preach now. And he picked up a magazine, again, thinking it was the Bible. And, and uh, they started leaving. <laughs> and he said, Mary Lois, Mary Lois, don't let them re- leave. I want to preach to them. <laughs> faithful unto death. To the last minute, my dad was faithful unto death. And one more poem that... He put in the back of his Bible, if I can find what I did with it. Yeah, here it is. Okay, he wrote this down in the front of his Bible on April 13th, 1969. Okay. This is when he was having difficulty in the church in Racine. And here's the poem. It's by that famous poet, Anonymous. Famous poet, Anonymous. uh, Whom God chooses. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks. When his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him. By every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. You're going through tough times right now, maybe. If you think you're going through tough times right now, you probably don't know anything about tough times. Yeah, just wait. You get out in the ministry and Satan is opposing what you're doing. People are being saved and baptized and discipled and Satan hates it and God raises up enemies. Just wait till then. Then you'll know what pain in the heart is. But be faithful unto death. Every last thing you have, every finger, every toe, both your lungs, your stomach, Absolutely, everything you are and have, your mind, your experience, your talents, everything belongs to God. He gives it to you to be a steward. Let's pray.